Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Israelites, white nationalists, patriots, constitutionalists, uh, nationalists, those who believe in nationhood versus the international order of the international Jew, New World Order, etc., etc. Welcome. All right, so today we're going to be pretty much doing a survey of COVID news from the week. And then if there's time, I'm going to go to the lawsuit filed in the state of Montana against the governor there. And I give some details on that. And uh, that's going to be very important because in the long run, people in every state need to file lawsuits against the governor and the people who are promoting this COVID hoax and uh, just eliminate it. Uh, there's some interesting news uh, on the uh, Trump front, so uh, we're going to get into some of that. So let me get a couple of uh, minor items out of the way first. From the Richardson Post, no longer a rumor, Chinese troops amassed on U.S.-Canadian border. I was actually going to report on this yesterday but I didn't see I didn't see there was really enough I couldn't get any backup I just got a quick report from somebody and it was enough for me to say okay I'm going to run with this story but here is the link and uh, let's see I think yeah the richardsonpost.com and the no longer rumor Chinese troops amassed on US Canadian border Let's see, what's the date of this? Okay, December 10th, 2020, just a couple of days ago, shows a railroad train, uh, a couple uh, with tanks. <laughs> tanks, actual tanks, military-style tanks uh, in the backwoods of Canada here. All right, uh, Nation News Desk, 22 October 2020, U.S. moving self-propelled artillery to border with Quebec, reports of uniformed Chinese troops in Canada. Was the CCP that confident China Joe Biden would win? <laughs> yeah, apparently it's so. And uh, we, we know that Trump still has a few tricks up his sleeve to steal the election back from Biden, but it's starting to get closer and closer to crunch time. It's looking to, because the Supreme Court uh, rejected uh, the state of Texas's uh, appeal to uh, force these other states to have honest elections, you know, the, the swing states. And the Supreme Court rejected that appeal, uh, but I have a little update on that because uh, uh, there's still hope there, and there's uh, hope on other fronts for a potential Trump victory. 
uh, various different means, various different legal means, but some of it may entail just negating the vote of certain states altogether and then having the state legislatures vote in, in the place of the people because the the fraud was so great that there's no way you can have an honest count, and especially with ballots being shredded, count, ballots counted after the election day, uh, Democrats sealing off the area so that Republican observers couldn't watch, etc., etc. Massive, massive fraud. But anyway, let's continue with this. A video of about 70 or 80 Chinese troops marching on Salt Spring Island, north of Prince Rupert and Vancouver, surfaced back in March of 2018. So they've been around here for a while, and of course, this is a UN operation, folks. It's not a Chinese operation. This is a UN operation. They were in uniform but unarmed, a mix of men and women soldiers, and we chose not to make a big deal out of it then, as did this more recent poster of the old clip, which has oddly disappeared. Of course, this kind of information tends to disappear when it becomes more and more relevant. But recently, it was revealed the Soros-backed Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who hates Trump, cut a secret deal with the CHICOMs in 2018 that has now been ratified by legislation, allowing communist Chinese P... Uh, it's not the PLA, uh, People's Liberation Army, I'm not, I'm not sure what CCP stands for, uh, certainly communist, allowing CCP troops to operate freely on Canadian soil. In America, this miscreant, Trudeau, would be a card-carrying Democrat Marxist willing to do anything for power. Well, that's what he is in Canada, too. In Canada, he's a card-carrying Liberal Party Marxist willing to do anything for power, including selling his own nation out for the C- or to the CCP. So, and of course, his daddy, Pierre Trudeau, was a flaming Marxist as well. It's amazing how the Canadian people, uh, like Minnesota, <laughs> and for a long time Wisconsin, could be so ultra-liberal in states. But of course, it's the cities. It's the cities and the universities in these states that determine, because they fill the ranks of these cities with welfare staters who always vote Democratic, and the students in the big university towns like Madison and Milwaukee especially Madison, they're the ones who, in, in, in Wisconsin, who uh, vote Marxist, which is to say Democratic. Okay, so the welfare state and Marxism are essentially the same, but the black folk in those uh, areas don't, realize, don't really realize that they are Marxists. They're just being led by the nose, by the welfare state. And in fact, so are the, uh, the liberals in those in those areas, they're they're simply puppets of the Rothschilds, uh, uh, useful idiots, as Lenin uh, calls them. Okay, the Nation published this map of Chicom troops spotted in Western Canada back in October of 2020, allegedly guarding the port they now own down in Vancouver. Okay, so they own property in Vancouver, they own property in Michigan, they own property in California, as the Chinese do. Okay. Because this this is internationalism. There is no such thing as national sovereignty anymore. Of course, we nationalists and we constitutionalists will fight to the death to maintain our freedom from the New World Order, okay? 
the, we have now confirmation of what Trudeau was doing as published by the Canadian press. Canadian Independent Press Review, January 15, 2020. Under the terms of the Foreign Investment Protection Act, FIPA, a bilateral treaty ratified with China by the Trudeau government in 2019, Chinese security forces can be stationed on Canadian soil to protect vital Chinese investments without the knowledge or consent of local authorities. Interesting, no? Without the knowledge or consent of local authorities. So the Canadian government, the Marxist Canadian government, has permitted the communist Chinese to have troops to protect their interests. Now, isn't that interesting? Not even capitalist companies have that kind of protection. They may have security, but an actual army from another country to protect their business interests? Is communist China really communist, or has it become capitalist? Or it is a hybrid of the two. Chicom troops are also being housed on Indian reservations where they are more easily hidden. Yeah, after this, <laughs> you know, live in a teepee. And even in Vancouver, Stanley Park, where Canadians are no longer allowed to go because it has been taken over by the Communist People's Liberation Army. Okay? So, folks, I've been telling you this is very much like the Civil War when the British stationed troops in Canada to invade America on behalf of the Rothschilds and actually also on behalf of the South. And France had stationed troops in Mexico near the border of Texas, very close to Louisiana, and also were planning on invading on behalf of the South to destroy the Union. Okay, But the Tsar of Russia knew about this plot and he sent his Atlantic fleet to New York City and his Pacific fleet to San Francisco Harbor, and he told the Rothschilds, if you dare to invade the Union, you will effectively be being declared on war on Russia. Okay, And, of course, the Rothschilds hated the Tsars ever since that moment and uh, proceeded to assassinate uh, Russian official after Russian official, including the Tsar that issued this order. I think they finally murdered him in 1881 or so. This this all happened around 1863, I believe it was. Anyway, back to the story. Uh, uh, The point I want to make there is we are experiencing a second civil war with the Rothschilds, Again, lining up their forces against America, folks. Against America. When President Trump authorized one million reservists to be called up last spring, we thought it was to send Democrat Soros anti-fascists a message that domestic violence would not be tolerated. But those troops weren't ordered to report. Perhaps the call-up was for something more serious than Mama's basement-dwelling suburban sleaze who spent too much time at college learning critical theory rather than critical thinking. Maybe it was a message to Joe Biden's handler, Xi Jinping, instead that Trump does not want to see China rise like the Democrats do, 
and we'll see to it that they don't on his watch. Okay, so folks, this is it. The the civil war has begun. The, the forces are being lined up. The line has been drawn in the sand, and we Americans are the target. Our liberty, our constitution, our race is the target. Absolutely no doubt about it. Okay, uh, on the political front, a little bit more here. From the Citizen Free Press. And I'm going to try to copy this correctly so you don't have to search for it. And this is about the Texas law case which many other people are saying, I've watched several videos on the subject, it's not over. Just because the Supreme Court didn't rule in the favor of Texas on this lawsuit, it's not over. Citizen Free Press law professor, Texas case is not over. Posted by Kane today, December 12, 2020. So this is the latest news, folks. News junkies, <laughs> check out our homepage. <laughs> Okay, Washington, December 11, 2020. Public interest law professor John Banzaf, B-A-N-Z-H-A-F, who has won several cases virtually all experts considered impossible and helped establish a novel precedent regarding legal standing, says Trump still has options. The Supreme Court rejected the case because it said Texas lacked legal standing since it could not show that its own interest as a state had been injured. Uh, so if the states around you are becoming communist and threaten the liberties of all Americans, that's not, that's not their own interest? That is a very strange ruling. Anyway, in other words... Texas could not show that it could even possibly suffer an injury. Well, maybe Antifa has, and the Chinese army have to invade before the Texas will be taken seriously. But President Trump can make that very claim, arguing that if the various theories argued in the te Texas case were correct, he would have won the Electoral College. In other words, Trump, unlike Texas, can claim what the law calls, in fact, an injury in fact. The major criteria necessary to claim standing. Yeah, I have been materially injured. There is a crime that has been committed, and I have been victimized by that crime. So by that logic, the Supreme Court has kept the door open for Trump himself to file the lawsuit. So at least, theoretically, lawyers for Trump could copy virtually the entire case including the novel theories and claims it contained. There's nothing novel about them. There's, if other states nearby you have uh, do things that are threatening to you, what's novel about that? And file it in his own name because he would be in a much stronger position to claim legal standing or victimhood. Since, since Trump is an individual and not a state, he would have to file his case in a lower court, not the Supreme Court, but theoretically... He could do it, and I know one of the courts in Georgia took 11 days to rule on Sidney Powell's uh, case against the uh, corruption in Georgia. And, in fact, there's an interesting story from Georgia. Uh, tra another tragic accident 
like I used, uh, like I reported last night. Let's see if I can find it real quick. And uh, this is uh, a real serious case where the governor of Georgia's daughter, uh, son, I think, or the, the daughter's boyfriend was killed in a car crash. And uh, under, of course, mysterious circumstances. So uh, I can't find that article real quick. But uh, there, this is another, again, another example of intimidation. People close to uh, corrupt politicians, or even uncorrupt politicians, who don't th- do things the way of is- Israel, they have, their people have accidents. Okay, but let's continue. Uh, get into the uh, Luciferase and uh, uh, and other connection to the COVID fiasco shortly. And uh, we are seeing here that they're they're trying really hard to prevent Trump from unstealing the election. So uh, th- so that's all the material I have on that that particular subject. So let's move on to COVID, which is going to be the main theme for tonight, COVID and the lockdown. Now, this is very interesting because very, very few mainstream newspapers have ever sided with our point of view. Very, very few. Almost none. However, the London Daily Mail (laughs) has actually published an intelligent article on COVID, unbelievably. And this is what they have to say. This What's the date? Uh, this was earlier this summer. Oh, okay, not too long. Well, actually, it says Saturday, December 12th. Today, okay. The London Daily Mail. What they don't tell you about COVID... Fewer beds taken up than last year. Deaths a fraction of the grim forecasts. This looks like conspiracy stuff. 95% of fatalities had underlying causes. We all knew that already. But, rare to hear it reported or see it reported in a mainstream newspaper like the London Daily Mail. And how the facts can be twisted to strike fear in our hearts. So they're saying... It's fear porn. They're telling us all this COVID reporting is fear porn. How about that? I have a feeling that uh, the London Daily Mail may be going out of business very soon. All right. Sorry, folks. The, uh, a, a huge ad just popped up in front of my copy here. So uh, let me get rid of that. Okay. So despite the fear mongering, the number of COVID-19 deaths is significantly lower than the peak back in April. Latest ONS estimate shows that in the week ending November 14th, new infections were already leveling off. GCHQ staff have been embedded in a cabinet office team in Downing Street to provide Boris Johnson with real-time updates of COVID-19. And of course, we all know that the statistics on COVID cases and the even deaths, which have been massively 
you know, underreported. Uh, no reporting at all on deaths, although just, they just recently started because uh, the de- number of deaths has been adding up since April, so that now it's it's uh, it's almost impressive. <laughs> Analysts will sift through vast amounts of data to ensure Boris Johnson has the most up-to-date information. So they're still couching this in terms of, well, our government is doing the best it possibly can for you, the British citizen. With the nation's health at stake, it was revealed this week that the GCHQ staff have been embedded in a cabinet office team in Downing Street to provide Boris Johnson with real-time updates to combat the emerging and changing threat posed by COVID. It's, It's changing all the time. It's getting less and less. The intelligence analysts will sift through vast amounts of data to ensure the prime minister has the most up-to-date information. And, of course, once he has it, he'll spin it to death. But what exactly should Mr. Johnson be looking for? Here, Ross Clark reveals what he should be asking. Number one, how accurate were the government's grim predictions? How accurate were Fauci's grim predictions? Bill Gates' grim predictions? The World Health Organization's grim predictions? They were off by mega, mega volumes off by mega volumes the short answer is not very <laughs> not very accurate in a july report commissioned by chief Sci- this is actually the london daily mail folks i can't believe it in a july report commissioned by his chief scientific advisor sir patrick valence or valence Sci- <laughs> Who shot Liberty Valance? Scientists estimated that there could be 119,000 deaths if a second spike coincided with a peak of winter flu. Yesterday, that figure stood at 54,286, less than half of that. We all know that medicos are very poor at predicting anything. And they're actually very poor at diagnosing anything either. Uh, I, I bet Half, pa- half the patients that die, die because the doctors simply don't know what illness you have. So the way it works today is because the insurance companies cover the butts of the hospitals and the doctors and, and the, you know, the liability insurance has to cover them as well. They have a standard protocol of routine tests that you all take, all paid for by your insurance, if you're lucky, if you have insurance. And then uh, and then they still don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> and so that's when they have to start guessing. Or, according to the protocol, say, well, because nothing else seems to be wrong, uh, it must be this, and therefore they will start treating you with antibiotics for a disease you don't have. That's the way it works. That's how medicine is done today, folks. That's what they're taught in medical school. So, in fact, the second peak seems to have passed. Over the past week, there has been an average of 22,287 new infections a day. How many deaths? Okay, new infections, but how many deaths recently? Down from 24,430 the week before. In mid-September, Sir Patrick made the terrifying claim that the UK could see 50,000 new coronavirus a, a day. A day. But they're less than that even in a week. 
by mid-October, unless more draconian restrictions were introduced. Yet we have never got near that figure. No, we have never gotten near any of the figures that any of the COVID-slash-lockdown pundits have predicted. Not even close. What about the prophecies on deaths? Ditto. Its warnings simply don't bear any relation to reality. During the Halloween Horror Show press conference used by Sir Patrick and Chief Medical Officer Professor Chris Whitty to scare the government, and not just the government, but the people of Britain, into implementing a second lockdown, one of their slides suggested that daily COVID-19 deaths could reach 4,000 a day by December. And so here I have a chart of the predictions okay, of that time. So all of these, uh, these uh, British, humorless British politicians, <laughs> what could be more humorless than a Jewish politician? With 10 days to go, we're still at less than 15% of that figure. In fact, as the graph above shows, the current death rate is significantly below almost every modeled winter scenario. Next question. Are hospitals close to full capacity? The answer is no. Contrary to what the government experts would have you think after they last month published a chart that gave the impression that hospitals were close to overflowing, which is kind of typical fake news during the entire COVID scenario. We've had to endure this for now over nine months. Approaching, yeah, actually it's 10 months. Approaching 11 months. Approaching 12 months now we've had to, had to endure this uh, this t- fake, fake news. Absolutely fake news. Are hospitals close to full capacity? The answer is no. Contrary to what the government experts would have you think after they last month published a chart that gave the impression that hospitals were close to overflowing when at least half didn't have a single COVID-19 patient. This reporter needs to join Eurofolk Radio. Currently, only 13% of NHS beds are occupied by patients with COVID-19. And I'll bet the ones they report as having died from COVID are in their 80s and 90s and 100s. On Monday this week, 16,271 hospital beds across the UK were taken up with patients who had tested positive for COVID-19. So uh, out of how many million people? On mainland, uh, you know, the British Isles there? How many? But nevertheless, the uh, article is replete with uh, images of... uh, Patients you know, getting treatment in bed, actually on respirators, that's, not, that's no good. This did show a steady rise from the previous Monday when there were 14,279 patients with COVID. But to put this figure into perspective, the NHS in England had 101,255 general and acute beds available in March of this year, plus 15,392 in Scotland and 10,563 in Wales, so we're talking 126,000 beds. How does it compare with last year? Remarkably, as the graph shows, the number of NHS England beds currently occupied is lower than last year's average, which was before COVID, folks. 
before COVID. On November 5th, the most recent date available, there were actually 1,293 fewer patients in hospital beds than last year's November average. Isn't this a horrible pandemic, folks? Isn't this horrible? It's unbelievable, but the mass media, the Jews media, keeps on selling this BS that we have a pandemic. Next heading, surely intensive care beds are full. Some hospitals are under pressure, but that it is that that is not the picture everywhere as the chart above shows. On Wednesday, 1,430 people with COVID-19 were occupying beds with mechanical ventilation. Oh man, I wonder how many of them survive. Given that before the crisis there were 4,119 intensive care beds in England plus, 269 in Scotland and 153 in Wales. Roughly only 31% of ICU beds not including those which have been recently converted from normal beds, are currently occupied by patients with COVID. So only uh, so the hospitals are overflowing with COVID patients, right? Isn't that what they, we were being told? But wasn't that because of the Nightingale hospitals? Not at all. In fact, despite all the fanfare surrounding the Nightingale hospital's rapid construction... They were never more than 1.23% full. So I'm assuming this is a state-of-the-art hospital, and so far its capacity is only 1.23% filled. Moreover, doctors are now far better prepared to treat COVID-19, such as knowing when and when not to put patients on ventilators. Okay, so they're killing fewer patients. To put it simply, the victims are overwhelmingly the elderly and those with pre-existing conditions. How many times have we reported this fact to you, folks? Of the 37,470 COVID-19 deaths recorded by NHS England up to November 18th, 53.7% were of people aged over 80. In comparison, there have been just 275 deaths. Um, Let me repeat the first figure. 37,470 of people aged over 80 compared to a mere 275 in people under 40. Wow, this is a fearful, fearful, fearful pandemic. Folks, even mainstream media now is reporting that it's all BS. Absolute, 100% total BS. But we still have, uh, if, if Biden gets into office, you know, of course, what he's first going to do is going to try to take our guns away. He's going to up the, and, and Kamala Harris, you know, so suppose that Biden lives three or four months into the presidency, okay, and he's so senile that he can't put a, a, a sentence together or answer a, a, a direct question. 
So they're going to off him really quick or make sure he gets, he'll probably catch COVID and spend the rest of his four years in office in a hospital bed if he's lucky. So Kamala Harris will probably become president. Folks, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Oh man, I sure don't want to. (laughs) I sure don't want to. Okay, now I'm going to switch to this wonderful, wonderful chart from MailChimp. This is going to tell you loads of what's really going on and how bogus all the statistics are that have come through the Jew Press. Absolutely 100% bogus. And uh, there isn't a heading for this. It's just, a, there's a URL. and It says view in browser, but we're in the browser. So, and it just starts without any heading. One place after another is using cases as the metric to decide whether people are allowed to experience joy or not. It's not cases. I mean, sorry, it's cases. Not deaths, because the deaths have been so few, they don't even cause alarm. More people die of traffic accidents. More people die by committing suicide. You can probably pick any statistic. Maybe even more people die by getting hit by lightning. And since all this is fake anyway, that is certainly the case. More people die by getting hit by lightning than die of this fake disease called covid so let's meet them on that ground. Yinan Weiss, Y-I-N-O-N Weiss, has been heroic through this fiasco, and he just released a series of charts, along with commentary, that I can't improve upon. So for today's issue, I'm sharing them with you. Here we go. Quote, Santa Clara County, California, was the first in the U.S. to lock down... They followed the science with perhaps the longest lockdown in the world. I think they closed the beaches. Gyms never opened. Indoor dining never opened. How did that work out? So, just following the lockdown and the mask mandate. Now, of course, the lockdown is supposedly is there to supposedly protect people, right? The mask mandate is there to supposedly protect people. But what have we seen in this chart? Well, as soon as the lockdown was implemented, deaths, or cases, sorry, cases, we're just talking cases here, began to increase. And then they began to slightly decrease and level off until the mask mandate. After the mask mandate... Then there was a, a very sharp rise in cases. Then a gradual fall-off, and now we have a very sharp spike upwards, which would have to, just from looking at the chart, looks to be like 30, 40 times the number, and, and a thousand times more than before the lockdown. Okay? So what they've been telling us, Namely, that the lockdown and the mask mandate keep us safe. I'm sorry, folks. The statistics are telling us the exact opposite. Next, Connecticut is the home of Yale and many intellectuals. 
and also commies. And, oh, of course, secret societies, <laughs> right? Skull and bones. So surely they followed the science. Except now they have the highest per capita case count in the country. What about all those masks, lockdowns, and the almighty science? So just looking at this chart from Connecticut. Before the lockdown, there were hardly any cases. Immediately after the lockdown, there was a sharp spike in cases. These numbers are kind of hard to read. But uh, you can see it. it's 10, 10, 15 times, if not more, cases than before the lockdown. Then there was a gradual, steady decrease, almost back down to zero, going up and down a little bit. And then as soon as the mask fines were imposed, they were actually fining people for not wearing masks. I can say here in Illinois, I've never heard of anything like that happening here in Illinois. And I always feared the worst because Pritzker is the son of a, a Zionist uh, murderer, mass murderer. And he's our governor. But, in fact, last weekend, uh, Tony and I went to Springfield, Illinois, to join in a demonstration, a patriotic pro-Trump de demonstration. We put up our, all our anti-COVID, all our vax uh, material. And we got a very, very positive response from everybody there. Very positive. Made a lot of connections as well. So, but in fact, this one Chinese kid, he came with his Chinese parents and they were, they were the only ones wearing masks. Everybody else there was mask free. About 75 to 100 people. And so they wandered in and they looked at, they looked at our sign. But one of our signs said, masks are dangerous. And the Chinese kid, the teenage son, ripped his mask off and said, I knew they were lying. <laughs> it was wonderful to behold. Anyway, so you see there's a sharp spike upwards and then a brief downtrend and another sharp spike upwards. And I guarantee you these spikes followed mandates. State government mandates or local mandates. No doubt about it. So, again, the proof is in the chart. The very devices that are supposed to keep us healthy, the lockdown and the mask, make people sicker. Of course, here at... Uh, <laughs> Swamp Fox put a cartoon in Kamala Harris kicking Biden out of the White House. That's funny. But that's what's going to happen, folks. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, we had eight years of angry buckwheat. Yeah, that was Barack Obama, of course. And I think of eight years of angry Harris after they off Biden. Well, they might not off him, they might just make him sick. Because, uh, you know, like Hillary, uh, she's kind of dropped out of the picture, hasn't she? Biden can drop out. And so has, uh, who's the, Bernie, Bernie Harris. Well, you know, damn, we could have had Bernie Harris and Kamala Harris <laughs> for president and vice president. They should have gotten married. 
a black and a Jew for president. Man, that would have been fantastic for the left, for the Jews. I'm surprised they didn't shoot for that. So here we go. And so we're we're talking about the very implementations that they have that are supposed to keep us safe have been very unsafe. Let's visit the West Coast. We're highly Santa Clara wasn't on the West Coast. They're the first one, but that's what it says. Let's visit the West Coast where highly scientific California loves following the science. Remember all those beach closures, curfews, no schools, and destroyed businesses are a high price to pay. But surely it's worth it. At the altar of science, how is that working out? So here's the chart. Before the lockdown, very, very few cases. When the lockdown was implemented, a very gradual, steady rise in cases. But then when the mask mandate came in, a very sharp spike in cases, a little bit down and right back up. There's a a, a dual hump camel here. And then a gradual downward trend again until the curfew was implemented. And then, but the the sharp spike upward began even before the curfew. The curfew just made it worse. Okay, folks, these are statistics. Aren't we supposed to believe in statistics? No. The scientists pushing COVID aren't interested in statistics real statistics, all they're interested in is cases. But wait, maybe science was right and it's the people's fault. Even when separated by 2,500 miles, the evil residents of Connecticut, Massachusetts, and California all decided to get lazy at exactly the same time. So let's not blame false idol scientists and clueless politicians. Let's blame the people. So here's a combined chart of the three states. And it shows that their graphs, their steadily upward spikes, or upward pattern, I should say, with some more spikes in the Connecticut total than in the California total, uh, the California is a total uh, pattern is more parabolic. It starts flat and then gradually gets uh, up to the asymptote, the the, the uh, margin on the right. And the Massachusetts one is interesting because it has a steady increase and it levels off for quite a while, and then a very very sharp spike upwards. Again, these are due to mandates. The mandates cause these spikes. The very mandates that are supposed to keep people safe cause an increase in cases. Okay, okay. But it would be so much worse if they didn't follow the science, right? So let's look at Florida, which effectively ended COVID restrictions on September 25th. Those crazies with their open schools, open business, and people who, who, who get to their lives, barbarians. Okay, so same chart, but now adding Florida to the mix. Florida went on a gradual rise, but apparently it leveled off 
when the governor decided to end all, nearly all restrictions. Nearly all restrictions. But it didn't quite level off. Well, why? Because the corporations still mandated masks for people to come in. And I'm sure social distancing as well. So the governor wasn't about to tell businesses whether or not they should mandate masks and social distancing and other strictures. So that's why you didn't have an immediate leveling off, but it looks like it has begun to level off. And, but I can tell you that here in Illinois, after last Saturday's rally in Springfield, Tony and I, alcoholic that I am, Tony and I stopped in uh, the town of Dwight, because we want to find out, first of all, are people wearing masks in Dwight, Illinois? And we looked around and almost nobody was wearing masks. But again, here, the corporate businesses, the big corporate stores, etc., are requiring masks. So we cruised down the main drag right next to the railroad tracks and we found, an, okay, there was a bar open. So we went into the bar. Nobody was wearing a mask. So we sat down in a bar and ordered a couple of cheap beers, <laughs> American beers, and uh, enjoyed ourselves, relaxed from the driving we had done. It's a four-hour drive on the way down, a four-hour drive on the way back, and plus we were standing all day long holding signs and stuff. So uh, we needed to relax. So that's what we did. We talked to a few uh, of the people there. Uh, nobody was concerned. The uh, barkeep and the manager weren't concerned about people not wearing masks. No masks, folks. No masks. But, of course, when we got back into the city, people were wearing masks outdoors, which is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. You need fresh air. One of the programs I was listening to today from Canada, Amanda Vollmer, I think her name is, she said that Florence Nightingale, when she was uh, treating the sick, realized that when she was working in closed wind, uh, hospitals with closed windows, closed window dormitories, the people were getting sicker and sicker. So she opened the windows and let some fresh air in. And they all got better. You getting a hint there, folks? That fresh air is good for you? Looks like this is the final chart. COVID deaths per million. New Jersey has the highest rate of COVID deaths per million, roughly 2,000. See if I can... Uh, yeah. And New York, 1831... Massachusetts, 1620. Belgium, country, 1568. Connecticut, 1482. Italy, 1022. And it just goes down from there with the Netherlands being the lowest deaths per million, 574. Switzerland, five or 658. And Sweden, 
because they had no masks and no lockdowns. Must Why aren't they way up there with New Jersey? No, they're third from the bottom with a mere 720 deaths per million citizens. Again, I attribute this to the fact that corporations in Sweden were mandating masks. The government wasn't mandating them. The corporations were. So, the author says, The ruined lives, the global wreckage, was it all for nothing? We are not permitted to raise the question. As always, those are the very questions we need to ask if the insanity has reached a point that you've decided the time has come to at last join my private group, which uh, the, the link is provided here, where you'll be surrounded by normal people and be able to stay up on what's actually happening as opposed to panic-mongering lunacy, I remind you of an added bonus. The group is permanently off Facebook. <laughs> so, if that was holding you back, no longer. Okay. Yeah. Anybody but a fool goes to Facebook. All right. That that place is for silly, silly people because all the good people have been booted off. Okay, one more before we get into the court case. And this one's almost unbelievable, but not quite because very little surprises me anymore. But actually confirms what we've been saying for a very, very long time. Namely, that it's white people who are the main target of this entire program. White people are the main target of this entire program. Cornell University makes flu vaccination mandatory, but only for white students. December 8, 2020, Richard Moorhead, under the subject of racism. Okay, that can't be racist if only white people are going to be killed. That's not racism. Black people have to die. <laughs> Chinamen have to die. Etc. And Ivy League University is requiring that white students receive an annual flu vaccination while providing a racial exemption for students belonging to any other race. Hmm. Cornell University in New York admits to the racially discriminatory practice openly on its university health website. An estimate of demography universities' students calculated that 35% of the student body identify as white, some of those are probably lying, thus ensuring that only a small plurality of students are required to receive the flu vaccination. Well, okay, so maybe they're cutting costs, but they're still targeting the people they want to target. On a webpage breaking down the university's health policy for students of color, Cornell Health appears to suggest that individuals of races other than white don't need to agree to vaccination requirements. But of course, they don't have to pay taxes either. <laughs> Only white people pay taxes anymore. Middle class white people. Quote, We recognize that due to long-standing systemic racism, oh, to eliminate racism we must be racist back. 
and health inequities in this country, individuals from some marginalized communities may have concerns about needing to agree to such requirements. What marja? What 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 community is more marginalized these days than the white community? We have to pay for everything. We have to suffer everything. We don't get any welfare benefits. Very very few whites, in comparison to the majority, get welfare benefits. So because in the past non-whites have been mistreated, therefore that gives them the right to mistreat us. That's what they call social justice. For example, historically, the bodies of black, indigenous, and other people of color, oh, new category, BIPOC, LGBTQ, have been mistreated. Well, whites have been mistreated too. How about the Civil War? 600,000 dead? And many of those died to supposedly free blacks. Have they shown us any appreciation for that? Not hardly. And used by people in power, sometimes for profit or medical gain. Well, what do you think is happening with COVID? Cornell Health goes on to encourage the students of color demographic to receive flu vaccination, but clarifies the health advice by stating that, quote, it is understandable that the current compact requires requirements may feel suspect. I think they are suspect, absolutely, for anybody. Or even exploitative. They don't exploit white people. To some BIP, BIPOC, BIPI, (laughs) I bet you're BIPI, members of the Cornell community. Campus Reform has requested comment from Cornell University on its racist vaccine policy. Their policy appears to violate the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which forbids discrimination on the basis of race. Oh, no, but uh, you can discriminate against whites. Welcome to the radical liberal world of racial caste systems, discrimination, double standards, and hypocrisy. Educated by the racists of Cornell, future generations of Americans will be in an excellent position to preside over a society that is united, cohesive, and shared by the nation's citizens, right? Of course, they're being facetious. But there was an interesting item here up above. Yeah, from Michigan. I'm going to click on this item real quick. Exclusive. Michigan County GOP leader calls out fixed elections amidst leaks of quid pro quo Audio. Oh, okay. You mean you caught some Democrats behind the scenes bargaining for votes? Or bargaining to get rid of votes? By Shane Treo. Last week, Thursday, was supposed to be our election, but establishment ended up creating up to, up, uh, ended up creating up, double use of the word up here, a Zoom meeting that took place an hour before the regularly scheduled meeting. So a few people went there, and we couldn't have a quorum at the real meeting. And they elected a new chair, Kroll told Big League Politics. Kroll, who is still Ottawa GOP chair until the end of the year, is attempting to overturn what he believes is a fraudulent vote. 
but the state party does not seem particularly interested in assuring electoral integrity. Now, of course, you know, probably, you've probably heard that that black woman in Michigan, Cynthia Johnson, or it might have been Pennsylvania, it was either Pennsylvania or Michigan, who said that the Republican witnesses who uh, say it, said they saw voter fraud going on, gobs and gobs and gobs of voter fraud going on, Cynthia Johnson said, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. You should be put, on, you should be put under oath. You've probably seen that video. And the chair of that hearing had to you know, hit his gavel and told her, you're out of order. Well, she made a video, this Cynthia Johnson critter, made a video threatening white people that we're coming after you. This creature was a legislator. Let's continue. So they're declaring victory even though they broke the bylaws and Robert's rules of order in doing so. I'm reaching out to Michigan Republican Party about these rules violations, but they're falling on deaf ears. I'm sure they're all terrified. They don't want black people smashing in their windows or worse. In audio obtained by Big League Politics, Christian Coalition of Michigan Chairman Keith Den Hollander and former Ottawa County GOP Chair Adam Tauntas, two very well-connected individuals in Western Michigan GOP politics, can be heard approaching Kroll and trying to coax him out of running for the chairman post, explaining to Kroll that the big money does not want him in that role. Oh my God! There aren't any honest Republicans either. Quote, the response I got from the donors is that they'd like to see someone else in that role, Den Hollander said to Kroll, explaining how there is nothing he can do as Ottawa GOP chair to satisfy the big money paymasters pulling the strings behind the scenes. We want Republican commies, just like we have Democratic commies. And so it's unfortunate it's really unfortunate. I'm, oh, I can, you can see the tears running down his face. But there isn't anything you can do about that would change their mind. You can surround yourself with an entirely new organization, but it still wouldn't matter, he added. So this was caught on audio, folks. Den Hollander was put into the role of vice chair during the convention that Kroll believes is unlawful. The new Ottawa GOP chair... Is Ottawa the capital of Michigan? If it is, I'm not, I'm not aware of that fact. Maybe it is. The new Ottawa GOP chair is slated to be former state Senate candidate Rhett DeBoer. After Kroll resisted in Hollander's appeal to bow out of the Ottawa GOP race, Tauntas called Kroll and attempted to offer him a deal to compel his departure. I probably pulled out a wad of cash. <laughs> okay, this is... This is how it's done, folks. Yeah, Swamp Fox says, don't be alarmed if people start dying after taking the vaccine. Don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at all. Continuing here. There's been fraud going on before. 
There's been fixed elections within the party, and that is what needs to be exposed, he explained. Okay, and we know that these big democratic states in the big democratic cities, peopled by blacks, Latinos, Mexicans, you name it, but it's mainly the blacks, utterly corrupt. There's been fraud going on before. There's been fixed elections within the party, and that is what needs to be exposed. Republicans should be calling their elected officials and telling them we need fair elections. More people should be calling and demanding transparency. More people should be asking for a new election to take place in Ottawa. And that's what I'm looking into now, Kroll added. Okay, so folks, it's over. There aren't going to be any more honest elections. There simply aren't going to be any more honest elections, even if Trump wins. Because the Rothschilds, George Soros, the Rockefellers, and both the Republican Party and the Democrats are, are so corrupt that there is absolutely no possibility of fair elections ever again. We actually haven't had any fair elections in probably, uh, I don't know, 40 years. Probably haven't had any fair elections in 40 years. Lansing, thank you. So I don't know what, where this Ottawa stuff is coming from. Lansing, Michigan. And uh, so maybe that's that's an office headquarter, or maybe they're just talking about county uh, county politics here. So, but this looks like a very interesting article here that uh, was posted by Swamp Fox, CNN. <laughs> oh no, CNN! Is it possible? Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is it possible that CNN is actually having an accurate report? But, of course, they're, they're still going to claim, well, it's still good for us, no matter how, how many people die, even though we just went through the statistics that th- those who don't wear masks and don't so- social distance are the healthiest people of all. Don't be alarmed if people start dying after taking the vaccine. No, well, this is kind of what we were expecting. Although there is the outside shot, as Brother Bear has averred, that the first round may actually be a placebo to get people used to the idea, oh, okay, all these people got shots and they didn't die. <laughs> they didn't get sick. So the vaccine must work. I wouldn't put that past them either. In an article on the COVID vaccine rollout, CNN says that Americans shouldn't be alarmed if people start dying after taking the vaccine because, quote, deaths may occur that won't necessarily have anything to do with the vaccine. (laughs) Oh, no, you can't be serious. Coincidental deaths. Oh, maybe people over 80 might be dying too. They never had anything to do with with COVID either. What an incredibly stupid statement. Deaths may occur that won't necessarily have anything to do with the vaccine. So, so what's going to cause them? And will the, that number of deaths be greater than from last year? This is always the acid test. Compare the this year's statistics with last year's statistics. As I said, and as that article from London told us, There were fewer deaths in 2019 in the same time period. So all of these restrictions 
have absolutely made everything worse. And of course, the fear-mongering, and a lot of people who actually believe this stuff are dying of heart failure, strokes, suicide, all of it related to, number one, fear, and number two, poor air quality. They need fresh air, and they're not getting it because of government mandates. Continuing. The advisory appeared in an article titled, Why Vaccinate Our Most Frail? Oh, no, yeah, well, now they want to vaccinate old people. Well, they were going to die anyway, so who cares? Odd vote out shows, whatever that means, the dilemma in which Dr. Kelly Moore, Associate Director of the Immunization Action Coalition, cautions that vaccines don't work as well on the frail. (laughs) No, they actually work better on the frail and elderly compared to healthy people. So why would you vaccinate unhealthy people anyway? Aren't you... This is actually admitting that the risk of death increases when you vaccinate elderly people. It's actually admitting it without saying so. When shots begin to go into arms of residents, Moore said Americans need to understand that deaths may occur that won't necessarily have anything to do with the vaccine. Okay, those old people are going to die anyway. Well, they died anyway with COVID, but they were counted as COVID deaths. Now they're telling us, okay, they're going to continue to do the same. They're going to die anyway, but they won't be counted as vaccine deaths. She then said Americans shouldn't be alarmed to see people dying a day or two after receiving Well, now, wait a minute. Why not three days, four days, five days, six days? Why not then? Because we know a lot of people go into convulsions the day after they receive their shot. Especially Gardasil. Have you ever seen the movies of teenage girls going into convulsions after receiving their Gardasil shot? One of the things we want to make sure people understand is that they should not be unnecessarily alarmed if there are reports, once we start vaccinating, of someone or multiple people dying within a day or two of their vaccination who are residents of a long-term care facility. Well, I guess they just, you know, they're hoping that those beds will be filled by other people. Uh, do they get compensation for deaths? I don't know. Uh, how does this work? Because those long-term care facilities are going to be losing patients and they should ordinarily be losing income. Why would they want to get rid of residents? That would be something we would expect as a normal occurrence because people die frequently in nursing homes. They also die frequently after getting vaccinated. While deaths in care homes of people who take the vaccine are described as normal and nothing to do with the vaccine, some would suggest that you could make the exact same argument about deaths with those of multiple comorbidities in care homes that were put on down on COVID. Or to COVID. Exactly. Many have and have been shouted down for saying so. So, you're damned if you don't. And you're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. And you're damned if you do. 
Yeah, and and they're still using Gardasil in the USA. They're still using it everywhere. It is torture. It's absolute torture. And of course, the same, you know, vaccinations, not Gardasil, but other vaccinations, can same contain the same adjuvants and poisons and toxins, causing convulsions in babies. That's the one and only cause of crib death. The one and only cause of crib death. Okay, so let's get into this lawsuit in Montana. And it's a PDF document, and we hope that this go. you know, however long this takes, American patriots are fighting back. They're fighting back with lawsuits. We're trying to do this peacefully. We know that the Jews and the commies don't want to do this peacefully. But we're trying to obey the law. They don't care about the law. They go around robbing, raping, murdering, killing, smashing things, burning things down, etc. And they get off scot-free. So as long as we are forced to do it this way, we will. But the day is coming when we're going to have to pull out... uh, I don't know, is there such a thing as an automatic shotgun? (laughs) In in case you have to face an entire mob of Antifa? I heard that uh, some of these shotguns are accurate to, you know, several hundred yards. You know, some of the balls are just going to go straight at the target, even that far away. So anyway, Montana First Judicial District Court, Lewis and Clark County. And uh, it gives the, I guess it's the name of the lawyer, who Quentin M. Rhodes. Stand Up Montana, a Montana nonprofit corporation, Alan Baker, as an individual and doing business as Baker Engineering and Structures, Jane Rechtenwald, an individual, Dr. Chuck Baldwin, doing business as Liberty Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian fellowship, and of course, most of you have read his articles and seen his videos. The Filling Station, Incorporated, a Montana for-profit corporation that's probably a bar. These are the plaintiffs. The defendants are Governor Steve Bullock in his official capacity as Governor of the State of Montana and Department of Public Health and Human Services and Agency of the State of Montana. And so you can see, again, all of these state departments are modeled after the Roosevelt-style alphabet soup agencies. Basically, all the states have followed suit. They're copycat states creating the same type of bureaucracy that uh, FDR created in the 30s. Complaint. Plaintiff Stand Up Montana, Alan Baker, Baker Engineering, Jane Rechtenwald, Chuck Baldwin, the filling station, for their complaint, allege against Defendant Governor Steve Bullock and Defendant Department of Public Health and Human Services as follows. Summary. 1. Separation of Powers. Defendant Governor Steve Bullock, the governor, responded to the COVID-19 pandemic on March 12, 2020. 
with an emergency declaration, quote-unquote, emergency declaration and a statewide lockdown. The lockdown came at a time when Montana had not yet a single confirmed case of COVID-19. Did you hear that? Not a single confirmed case of COVID-19. And yes, Adolf, the leftists will not last one week against real patriots. They're asking for trouble, and they're going to get it. They're asking for trouble, and they're going to get it. Okay? The Rothschilds have bitten off more than they can chew. Their corporations are going to fail. Their control over media is failing. Their control over public education is failing. State budgets are failing. How are they going to collect a tax? The only way that the Rothschilds can fund these states at this point, because of all the failing corporations, businesses, and educational institutions, most of them public anyway, so they don't earn any money, they drain money off from the taxpayers of those states. Are they going to raise taxes? Are they even going to dare raise taxes? California has been raising taxes steadily for the last few years. Guess what? They're losing population tremendously. That means, and they even tried to create a tax, uh, an exit tax, where if, if you... Uh, are a rich person in California and you want to pack up and leave, they're going to charge you to leave. And they're going to keep charging you that same amount, a very high rate of taxation, for several years after you leave the state. Can you believe that, folks? Can you believe that? While like Governor Nuisance, I'm sorry, Newsom, while Governor Newsom has nine corporations in which he is part owner that have gotten millions and dollars millions of dollars from the bailout money that has been offered to people in various states well in his state he has interest in nine corporations that or and or companies but i think they're all corporations that gets millions of dollars of bailout money the governor himself while small businesses in California had to wait months. He got that within a few days of applying for it. While small business owners had to wait months, and of course they get a pittance, a few thousand dollars. Well, the governor, I mean, talk about, he's just another one of those compassionate liberals, folks. He's just so full of compassion. Summary. Separation of powers. Defendant Governor Steve Bullock, the governor, responded, okay, I think I read this March 2020, March 12, 2020, and the lockdown came at a time when Montana had not had a single confirmed case. Montanans were told to suspend their lives to quote-unquote flatten the curve. Eleven weeks later, on June 1, 2020, the governor lifted the lockdown to enter his quote-unquote phase two reopening. By then, the lockdown had devastated Montana, ripping the very fabric of its social, psychological, and economic life. Despite these dis- dis- dire consequences, however, 
on July 15, 2020, the governor doubled down, mandating that all citizens wear masks in public indoor settings. To enforce the new mask mandate, the governor conscripted private businesses. Here we go. This is fascism, folks. This is pure fascism. Big government, big business combining to oppress the people. The World Health Organization, UN, big government and big business, the Rothschild banksters and all their affiliated banks, the World Bank, Bank of International Settlements, International Monetary Fund, etc., etc., big corporations and big government combining to oppress the people. It's international fascism, folks. But we know the objective is total communism, where people have no rights whatsoever. No rights whatsoever. That's the ultimate goal. And, of course, these corporations that are now doing business with these pseudo-government entities, such as the United Nations, the NGOs, and all these other supposedly government institutions, which are nothing but bureaucratic hog piles these are going to become and and these corporations are simply going to be incorporated into the government so at that point it will be 100% communism finally in November the governor re-implemented severe capacity and hour restrictions on taverns and restaurants and imposed new restrictions on public gatherings of people regardless of whether they were infected exposed to the infected, or were in low-risk demographics. The businesses already reeling from the economic fallout of the governor's earlier restrictions now face insolvency and dissolution. Well, that was the purpose, wasn't it? The unsubstantiated benefits of the governor's lockdown, mask mandate, and other restrictions on people who are not infected and who have not been exposed to COVID-19 have not been worth the astronomical, social, psychological, and economic costs. Montanas have borne these... I wonder if Joe Montana lives in Montana. Montanans have been have borne these costs even though the mortality rate of COVID-19 is... Are you ready for this, folks? 0.1%. Equally important, these response measures were and not and are not authorized by law as something. You know, these things are, we know all these things because we're in the resistance. But you have to file a lawsuit to get this kind of information out to the public because, of course, the Jew press will never report these facts. Equally important, these response measures were and are not authorized by law. Similarly, Conscription of private businesses in the enforcement of COVID-19 directives as a condition of doing business in Montana, that's fascism, folks, is neither based on science nor authorized by law. But of course, these corporations, the big corporations, are willing partners with government in doing these things. Small businesses cannot hardly benefit. Finally, the governor's indefinite extension of the public health care emergency is not authorized by law. 
Pritzker did the same thing here in Illinois. The only uh, it really looks like Montana has been devastated by this much worse than Illinois, even though Pritzker is you know a, a top dog Zionist through and through. But uh, he spends most of his time in Florida. He might as well be the governor of Florida. And nobody's outside the big cities is enforcing any of these mandates. So that's a good thing. We're relatively free here in Illinois compared to what I'm reading here about Montana. Montana is suffering. Oh, yeah, and he's a Democrat. Okay, most of these are Democrats, if not all. The the Georgia governor is is a Republican, and he's just as corrupt as any Democrat. Yeah, and we really have no idea, commenting on Captain Witness's statement, we really have no idea what these shots are actually going to do to us. But Bill Gates has told us it's going to alter our DNA. He's told us that. Again, a fact not presented by the kosher press. So, the the public health care emergency expired as a matter of law, on April 13, 2020. As such, the governor's response efforts and similar efforts by local city-county health boards across Montana, including those in, for example, Yellowstone, Gallatin, and Missoula counties, are ultra-vires and constitute violations of the Montana Constitution's Separation of Powers Clause. Uh, maybe somebody knows what the term ultra-vires means. Ultravera is a legal term. Article 3, Paragraph 1, Montana Constitution. His response also violates the U.S. Constitution's guarantee of a Republican form of state government as he has usurped legislative powers in acting without legislative authority. The Illinois State Legislature has also complained to Pritzker about that, but he has not come back from Florida <laughs> to, to, face, to face charges. Article 4, Section 4, U.S. Constitution. Finally, the governor's response violates Montana and U.S. citizens' inalienable rights to pursue life's basic necessities, enjoy and defend our lives and liberties, acquire, possess, and protect property, and seek their safety, health, and happiness all in lawful ways. But, of course, Klaus Schwab said, We will forbid private property and you will like it more governance folks more governance so i mean the battle line has been drawn those freedom loving patriots christian identians white nationalists etc and this the resistance folks is overwhelmingly white overwhelmingly white you could hardly there are smattering of non whites in the movement. Very, very small. Because the vast majority, especially the vast majority of blacks, are lined up with uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Continuing, the foregoing aspects of the governor's response to COVID-19 are therefore unconstitutional and should be permanently enjoined, that is, forbidden. 
Yes, absolutely. Should be totally forbidden. So it's it's a needle versus a bullet. One shot for another, folks. That's what's coming. The needle versus the bullet. Section 2 of the lawsuit, Fundamental Individual Rights. The governor's mask mandate, which broadly requires the wearing of cloth face coverings, which don't, <laughs> which don't do anything at all, it's like wearing a chain-link fence on your face, is without scientific support as a public health measure. Moreover, it violates the constitutional rights of Montanans and U.S. citizens to A, privacy, and B, free exercise of religion. How about the right to breathe? Montanans and U.S. citizens enjoy fundamental constitutional rights to privacy in making their own health care decisions, which the mask mandate infringes upon. The mask mandate and social distancing rules similarly violate the religious freedoms of Montanans and U.S. citizens, whose religious convictions call them into close personal contact and fellowship with those around them. Well, they don't want us meeting. <laughs> they don't want patriots to have meetings. We might rally against the government. Finally, Montanans also enjoy a constitutional right to human dignity. The mask mandate violates the human dignity of Montanans by humiliating them. Remember, we talked about this. Going back into the Bible, where Judah and Tamar, the, the, the practice that the women who were prostitutes had to wear a, fa- a veil, usually a dark veil, covering their nose, just under the eyes, covering their nose, mouth, chin, etc. Okay? They, we are their prostitutes. I think that's where they get this from. They want us to be their prostitutes. They're whores. The mask mandate violates the human dignity of Montanans by humiliating them. Very good. It subverts their individual facial identities and forces them to wear a universal symbol of submission to tyrannical power. There you go. The governor's mask mandate, as applied to plaintiffs, is therefore unconstitutional and should be permanently enjoined. Okay, this language is very simple and straightforward. Just a couple of legalese terms, one that I wasn't uh, familiar with. So the parties involved. Plaintiff Stand Up Montana is a registered Montana nonprofit corporation in good standing. Its principal place of business is in Gallatin County, Montana. Its mission is to encourage Montanans during the COVID-19 restrictions to, quote, stand up for the constitutionally protected liberties, to provide resources and support to individuals and businesses who have been discriminated against or harassed by unfair rules and regulations, and to support similar initiatives, unquote. So I'm sort of surprised they haven't uh, entered into the argument the fact that giant corporations are benefiting tremendously from the defaulting and uh, foreclosures and bankruptcies of small businesses. That should, uh, I, I think that should be in the lawsuit as well, but it doesn't seem to be. Let's continue. It has a membership of over 300 individuals and business entities. 
Its members have lost income, employees, customers, businesses, and livelihoods as the proximate result of the governor's actions alleged herein. Well, of course, that was the objective, wasn't it? They have been forced to wear masks or forego public accommodations in violation of their consciences. They have had their religious worship interfered with or curtailed. They have suffered severe medical complications from the effects of being forced to wear masks in public settings or other restrictions imposed by the governor. They have suffered depression, anxiety, bouts of post-traumatic stress disorder, and other emotional and psychological damage from the effects of being forced to wear masks in public. How about suicides? How about suicides? They have suffered, okay, I just read that. They have been targeted, accosted, subjected to public humiliation, and refused service for not wearing masks, even when medically exempt. They have been humiliated from being forced to wear what they view as an outward symbol of political submission and to hide their most distinguishing outward characteristic, their faces, behind government-mandated masks. Yeah, it's a symbol of slavery. Number four. Plaintiff Alan Barker, or sorry, Baker, is an individual who also does business in Baker Engineering and Structures. He resides in Flathead County, Montana, and his principal place of business is in Flathead County, Montana. Baker suffers personal detriment by the actions of the governor alleged herein. He objects on religious, personal, ethical, political grounds to being forced to wear a mask or forego public accommodation. Uh... Okay, so all the rest of them, I'm sure, have very similar objections. Plaintiff Jane Rechtenwald makes her statement. Plaintiff Dr. Chuck Baldwin. Let's see what Dr. Chuck Baldwin has to say. It's very short. As pastor of Liberty Fellowship, he resides in Flathead County, Montana, and Liberty Fellowship holds regular weekly religious services in Flathead County, Montana. Baldwin and Liberty Fellowship suffer personal detriment by the actions of the governor alleged herein. Now, I know he has a lot of blacks and Latinos in his congregation. I wonder if they support him in this. They have religious convictions against requiring parishioners to wear masks, restricting religious meeting sizes, and on engaging in social distancing during religious gatherings. The governor's actions have forced Dr. Baldwin to choose between compliance with orders or the violation of strongly held religious convictions. 7. Plaintiff Filling Station Incorporated is a Montana for-profit corporation uh, doing business in Bozeman, Montana. It operates a restaurant and tavern. Okay, so obviously they're going to suffer business. As I said, in rural Illinois, the restrictions aren't being enforced. In fact, nationwide, nationwide county sheriffs are resisting. They're not enforcing these mandates can't call them law. They're mandates. Yes, Adolf, every politician these days is a whore. It's a whore. Well, yeah, they think we've caved in, but they will find out different. You know, George Washington's vision at Valley Forge, phase three, the final war before the second coming, there will be fighting in every street in America, every uh, on the streets of every city in America, that is getting ready to happen, folks. It's getting ready to happen. 
Jurisdiction and venue. The court, as a court of general jurisdiction, has jurisdiction over the parties and the subject matter of this civil action for declaratory and injunctive relief. Okay, so the, I guess that depends on the, what type of court it is. Probably a state court. Verse uh, item number 11, venue is proper before this court because the defendants are agents of the state of Montana. Okay, so the governor and this agency are agents of the state of Montana. So, in other words, I suppose any place in Montana would be uh, appropriate venue, place where the where the uh, action or judicial action takes place. And uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't need to seek change of venue. Most changes of venue are by uh, the defendants who think they're not going to get a fair trial. Uh, in the local venue so they request a change of venue where basically they're not known and so the jurors can be more impartial general elect or allegations the governor's COVID-19 response on March 12, 2020 the governor issued an executive order declaring a state of emergency in response to the risks of COVID-19 virus pandemic 13 on March 13, 2020 Okay, we went through a little bit of this already, but uh, let's see how the argument uh, unfolds here. Uh, Issued an executive order, emergency declaration, amending his March 12, 2020 executive order that initially declared a state of emergency. The emergency declaration provided that, quote, the state of emergency runs concurrent with the president's emergency declaration, unquote, which presidential declaration was issued on the same day. The governor's emergency declaration includes no express or certain date of expiration. Wow. Wow. In fact, that's good. Does, does Trump's emergency declaration have an expiration date? I don't know. Since issuing the emergency declaration, the governor has neither lifted nor modified it, and nominally it remains fully in place. At no point has the governor consulted with the legislature or the people in imposing or extending the state of emergency. He has promulgated no regulation or even guidance for the conditions which would constitute an end to the declared emergency. The citizens of the state of Montana have had no input into Governor Bullock's decisions to declare or extend the state of emergency, nor into the myriad of other decisions he has made on an emergency basis to restrict their rights. Okay, so folks, have we got a tyranny? A democracy, a republic, a banana republic. We've got a tyranny on our hands, folks. Number 16. On July 15, 2020, Governor Bullock issued a directive entitled, quote, Face Covering Requirement in Indoor Spaces Open to the Public, unquote, Mask Mandate. The mask mandate reads as follows. All businesses government offices, or other persons. So, businesses and government offices are persons? It says other persons. Is this 14th Amendment language? Anyway, this is how it reads. 
all businesses, government offices, or other persons responsible for indoor spaces open to the public shall require and take reasonable measures to ensure that all employees, contractors, volunteers, customers, or other members of the public wear a face covering that covers their mouth and nose at all times while entering or remaining in any indoor spaces open to the public. Why not hogs and dogs? Face coverings shall be provided for all employees and volunteers. All points of entry open to the public shall have a clearly visible sign posted stating mask or face covering use required for ages 5 and older. So I can't bring my kids to the bar? (laughs) I can't bring my kids to the restaurant? Number 17. The governor claims legal authority for his mask mandate and November directive under section section 103104 etc 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 executive orders etc Montana constitution article 6 sections 4 and 13 and all other applicable provisions of state and federal law okay well yeah which are <laughs> are there any that mandate face masking mask wearing 18. On November 17, 2020, the governor issued a directive entitled Directive Implementing Executive Orders 2-2020 and 3-2020 and limiting size for public gatherings and events and, and limiting bars and restaurant capacity and hours. So, again, big business is not affected by this, folks. Walmart, I mean, their business is not suffering. Yeah, they're imposing mask mandates. But small business can hardly survive under these conditions. That's the November Directive. The November Directive reads, quote, Capacity in all restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, and casinos must be limited. Well, at least maybe the, the, the gambling, <laughs> those gamblers who waste throw money away at gambling casinos. Maybe they'll just find another way to throw money away must be limited to 50% of normal operating capacity to allow for adequate group spacing. Now I can see that a casino, uh, let's say every third uh, one-armed bandit can have a customer at six feet. They can still earn a lot of money that way. And uh, the roulette table, you know, maybe a roulette table can have four people around it, maybe even counting the the guy, uh, the dealer, or whatever you call a guy who throws the, throws the dice. But a small business that, you know, counts on steady business, they have to stand outside the door because the, the business is too small even for two people to stand six feet apart, or for ten people to stand six feet apart. So you can see how their business is being limited and how their business is being affected. Folks, this is tyranny. 100% tyranny. And, of course, they don't, they don't do it. Okay. <laughs> right? All right. This is Mystery Babylon, folks. 
<laughs> Swamp Fox says, look for the silver lining. Liberals will be the first to get the jab, and I, I think Judeo-Christians as well. All, all the wimpy, wimpy Christians get in line. <laughs> all you useful idiots get in line. Yeah, just take the warning labels off and let nature take over. Well, nobody reads the warning labels anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to do any good. Yeah, and but actually, in my old age, I'm starting to read the labels. You know, because most of the time, I don't, I don't buy anything that's in a box. I do buy potato chips and corn chips. That's my only vice. Occasionally, I get a uh, you know a, a hankering for a Kaiser roll, <laughs> but you know, given the fact that I've had uh, you know congestion problems with wheat products, I don't go there very often. So, if I need a snack, I'll have a salty snack like potato chips and or corn chips and the uh, the local brand here is just chips salt and oil oil sometimes the oil isn't very good oil but that's it it's chips salt and oil no preservatives necessary in a in a vacuum sealed package or close to vacuum sealed package so that's about the maximum amount of processing that I want to have Forget about cornflakes. Forget, you know, because the puffed, puffed wheat, puffed rice, all that stuff, not, not only is it GMO, but it, it's processed up to the wazoo to the point that there's no nutrition left in there whatsoever. There's probably not any nutrition in potato chips or corn chips either. That's why I just go to the produce aisle. Or the deli counter where they make prepared salads like uh, green beans, or sorry, bean and celery salad. Yum, yum. Uh, smoked, smoked sausages and, and other smoked foods, which are preserved, beef jerky, etc., that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the, the deli aisle you know, uh, has all kinds of vegetables in uh, salad form. Uh, carrot salad. I love carrot salad. That sort of thing. And so, whenever I go to the deli, I'll get uh, three containers of various salads like that. And that'll sustain me for several days. It really will. Okay. So, this is this is where we're at. Uh, let's continue. Capacity in all restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, and casinos must be limited to 50% of normal operating capacity to allow for adequate group spacing. Again, as I said, this is killing small business. Tables must be limited to six people per table. Now, wait a minute. How big is the table? You go to most restaurants, let's say they have a bench or a booth, Four people at most, and then some of them are smaller, only two people. So most people, most tables aren't going to seat that many. Establishments must provide for six feet of physical distancing between groups and or tables. By increasing table spacing, removing tables, or marking tables as closed. 
I've seen this done in restaurants in the city. It's not, it's not very much done outside the city. So rural Illinois is not taking these mandates seriously. As I said, most county sheriffs around the country are not enforcing these laws because they are unconstitutional. Providing for a physical barrier between tables. Note, back-to-back booth seating provides adequate separation. I don't think most of these restaurant owners know that because I've seen them place, uh, you know, off-limits booths in between the other booths. These businesses will be required to close their doors and have all patrons out by 10 p.m. Businesses may reopen after 4 a.m. Breweries and distilleries shall follow existing laws on closing time. So, and of course, when this whole thing started, liquor stores were unaffected except for the social distancing and mask wearing. So, most uh, most liquor stores don't have a constant flow of customers. I can drive uh, along a main thoroughfare here in Chicago, where the, and, um, the most most of the main streets in Chicago are lined with businesses on both sides of the street. One exception is Addison Avenue, Addison Street, which is mainly residential. It has its business areas, but it's mainly residential from the lakefront to the city limits. So not that many businesses there. But uh, these most of these liquor stores, I don't see a lot of people going in and out of them. It's just kind of, you know, piddling. Three or four people at a time at the most is uh, normal. Uh, what they normally do. And uh, I'd say the Greek restaurants on Central Avenue have always done a, a steady business, you know, maybe half capacity most of the time. That's where I go for gyros when I have the air urge for gyros. That's a, that's a real Chicago favorite. And, uh, you know, they never do more than half capacity. Very, very few Greek restaurants are, are mobbed. It's very rare. And the same thing for most other restaurants. There are very few of them are mobbed unless it's a really trendy place. But of course, that's all that's all gone. You know, downtown restaurants that, that used to have every table filled. That's that's gone. Any public gatherings or events where it is not possible to practice social distancing or where social distancing is not being practiced must be strictly limited to 25 people or fewer. So they just make these rules up. Absolutely knowing that it's not uh, doing anybody any good. 19. The restrictions contained in both the mask mandate and the November directive nominally apply to all people and places regardless of whether they have been exposed or are reasonably believed to have been exposed to COVID-19. None of the restrictions included in the two directives are limited to only people and places known to be or reasonably believed to have been infected with or exposed to COVID-19. Of course, they don't know it because the PCR test doesn't test for whatever germ supposedly caused COVID-19. They still haven't identified it after all this time. And they have no intention of identifying it. But that doesn't stop them from declaring it to be a real disease. Number 20, 
In neither the mask mandate nor the November directive does the governor recite specific science or other specialized professional authority to support the factual basis for the directives. While the directives invoke science in the abstract, they point to no reference or authority upon which they support their scientific claims, nor has any been provided to the citizens beyond these generalized claims. Okay, as I'm reading through this, anybody in another state can use this as a, as a blueprint. This is very good stuff here. Because everything being said here is going to apply to your state. Go ahead and get a group together. Find, there's got to be some businessman who's got enough money to hire a lawyer to join in a lawsuit like this. We know that here in Illinois that the Illinois State Legislature has already given Pritzker a warning that they're sick and tired of him issuing executive orders without consulting the legislature. What are we, chopped liver? Number 22. The governor has charged DPHS, HHS with enforcing the mask mandate and November directive. The DPHHS has undertaken enforcement of the mask mandate by <laughs> the, the masked... The masked stranger <laughs> by filing civil actions against businesses alleged to have failed in their duty to enforce the governor's directive. Boy, that is really dirty. I don't know what the DPHHS, probably some duplicitous, <laughs> duplicitous horrors for the state. Alleged to have failed in their duty to enforce the governor's directives. Local health officers have also undertaken enforcement action under both the mask mandate and November uh, directive. Now, they just referenced the science, but here is under the heading of science. This whole case is very good. It's very straightforward. It doesn't have a lot of legalese. Anybody can understand it except, of course, liberals and Judeo-Christians. The science. The governor's response to COVID-19, contrary to good public health practice, does not address the key risk metrics and assumes, inaccurately, that COVID-19 is equally dangerous to all populations. Now, here in Illinois, there is an additional factor which could be brought to bear, namely that the Pritzker family, one of the wealthiest Jewish families in America, I forget which hotel chain they own, a worldwide they own a worldwide hotel chain and possibly more than one. They also own hospitals here in Illinois. There could be a conflict of interest because Governor Pritzker is directly benefiting from the pay, payments made to hospitals by the government, nine thousand dollars per COVID diagnosis, and I think it's Twenty-three thousand and or thirty thousand per ventilator case, most of which die. I've been talking with local people here; they they are putting sick people here in Illinois on ventilators. That's virtually a death sentence. That's virtually a death, and they're they're still messing with old people 
in the old people's homes, the rest homes, etc. Number 24, the median infection survival rate from COVID-19 infection is 99.77%. Seasonal flu has always been worse than this. Uh, I think cancer is way worse than this. Heart attack is probably way worse than this. Why aren't we declaring lockdowns about cancer and heart attacks? Why not? Maybe we should just stop eating and breathing. 23 deaths per thousand uh, infections for COVID-19 patients under 70. The COVID-19 infection survival rate is 99.95%, so 0.05% death rate. Five deaths per thousand infections, okay? The evidence is absolutely overwhelming, folks, that this is a hoax. Number 25, mortality risks based on data for COVID-19 are now, for most age groups, very similar to those of the seasonal flu, typically around 0.1% overall, which is more than 0.5%. Okay, seasonal flu has twice as many deaths, is what they're telling us here, than COVID, and much lower than for respiratory viruses such as SARS or MERS. For younger age groups in particular, the rates are even lower. Okay, so they're just going to run through more statistics here. We're almost out of time. So, oh my, quarantines. Uh, part, part 29 or, or note number 29. Unlike the governor's response to COVID-19, policies that restrict and remove freedoms and impact overall health and well-being of citizens must be supported by demonstrable potential for significant effectiveness based on science and data. Has any of this COVID nonsense been su- supported by science and data? Absolutely none. Absolutely none whatsoever. Section 29A, Quarantines. Given the limited effectiveness of large-scale quarantine or lockdowns, and the clear science showing the consequences of lockdowns to be extreme, this mitigation measure is unsupportable by science. Home quarantine for individuals who are asymptomatic to keep possibly contagious, but still asymptomatic People out of circulation also raises significant practical and ethical issues. Except for uh, misers <laughs> who, who don't have any human contact anyway, the, the breakdown in families, you know, you can't visit your grandma. You know, we have uh, uh, the, the old people's home industry in, in uh, Illinois is big business, folks. It is really Big business. A place for mom is uh, a corporation that finds places for old ladies. It doesn't say anything about dad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the corollary business is a place is a business called a dump for dad. Let's find a dump for dad. B. Travel restrictions. Travel restrictions such as closing airports and screening travelers at borders have historically been ineffective, and similarly, scientific evidence does not show such measures prevent the spread of a pandemic. And it's very clear 
that viruses don't cause disease. Viruses are the product of disease. And the virus model has been made up from the get-go. It's not scientific. C. Social gatherings. There are no certain scientific indications that canceling large religious, social, and other gatherings have a definitive effect on the severity or duration of an epidemic. Because why? Because there are always people who are immune to the epidemic. There's always people who are immune. And even the biggest pandemics, you know, the, the Spanish flu, which certainly millions of people died, but it wasn't caused by flu. It was caused by the rollout of a new electromagnetic technology. I think in that case, it was actually early, early phases of radar. And the outbreak, quote-unquote, started at military bases that had the radar installations. Previous outbreaks were related to telegraphy and household wiring, installing household wiring in many homes. And it turns out the outbreak was the most severe in those cities where electricity was being run. Wires along the city streets and in household wiring. And you know that's from the book The Invisible Rainbow, which I highly suggest you read. Okay, one more item here. Masks and PPE. To date, there have been no large-scale studies conducted under scientific rigor that suggest widespread use of cloth face coverings by the public to be efficacious in the control of a pandemic. So, folks, we got to keep the pressure on. Uh, the good th- the good news is that more and more people are coming out making videos against this globalist pandemic. This globalist tyranny, more and more organizations are forming, more and more social media against it, more and more individuals making radio stations, TV stations, etc., etc., declaring themselves against this global tyranny. So the Rothschilds are going to be facing some serious opposition even before they have to face the bullets, but the bullets will come for sure. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. We'll see you all tomorrow for Bloodlines. Take care and Yahweh bless. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.